0: Good morning. It really is good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, we are going to look at a, a text together in a few minutes that I'm excited about sharing with you. Um, Tad asked me this morning if, if this morning's sermon was going to be funny again. And I said, well, I didn't realize the last one was funny. He said, well, that donkey started talking. I said, oh, I get yeah, that is kind of. And yeah, there's some good stuff in this one too, Tad. So thanks for paying attention, big guy. Uh, I want to mention a couple of things before we really get rolling. Uh, one is on the third Sunday night of the month, the Tri County Church, um, is blessed. I, and I, I mean it when I say this. Blessed to have one of our three elders share with us. Um, I have been working in paid ministry, um, for a few years now. It's, it's been 20 years or so. And, um, I haven't been associated with many churches that display the willingness that our elders display in opening up the Word of God with us. That, that doesn't happen everywhere. And so I just want to uh, commend them for, for that willingness and, and tell you, you need to be here at 6 o'clock tonight. Um, if you don't know what's going on in the hearts of your leaders, you really don't know what's going on. Uh, and that's a great opportunity to fellowship, and and I just encourage you to be here tonight at 6 o'clock. I myself am not going to be here tonight at 6 o'clock, but I'll tell you why. I'm I'm really excited about this. Uh, For years now, I have um, looked for and tried to explore the meeting place between the world of Christianity and the world of... Uh, substance abuse recovery and one of my former patients, a guy named Jeremy, I'm not breaching any confidentiality here, he's worshipped here with us, he and his young family. Uh, Jeremy has opened up some houses in Oklahoma City that are faith-based sober living and uh, he's asked me to come speak uh, to the guys in these houses that are trying to stay clean and sober and so I'm going to do that tonight and I'm just really excited about it and ask that you pray for me uh, because I really want to encourage those guys and challenge those guys to keep doing what they're doing in the fight against recovery, all in the name of Jesus Christ. So uh, keep that in mind, if you would, please. I asked a question last week that I want to ask again this morning, and and this is actually going to lead us into what I want to say to us uh, from the Word of God today. And that question was this. What would an intervention staged by God look like? We talked last week about uh, an intervention being an opportunity to confront uh, some unacceptable behavior. We talked about how oftentimes it's a surprise uh, to, though, to those in whose lives the intervention takes place. We also talked about how it's always an attempt to save somebody's life. We say what we say, we do what we do, we, we take the measures that we take because we want to save someone oftentimes from themselves. And so, pose that question in a spiritual sense and ask, what would an intervention staged by God look like? And then we looked at three different stories in the Old Testament. The first of which was Jonah. I, I can't, I still, I just love this picture. I don't know how well you can see it, but there's Jonah right there uh, and the fish about to swallow him. Uh, God told Jonah to go pre- preach at Nineveh. And uh, Jonah said, no thanks, I'm headed the other way. Uh, got on a boat. God sent a storm upon that ship. Jonah was eventually thrown overboard, swallowed by the fish, deposited um, and prepared to preach to the Ninevites. Then we talked about Job. Uh, you remember that Satan asked to have his way with Job and God consented. And so Satan literally took everything from Job. Took his wealth, took his prosperity, took his uh, standing in society, took his children even. And Job held true to his belief that uh, if God could bless him with good things, God could also take those good things from him. And then Job's friends show up and they began to um, accuse him of wrongdoing in certain senses. And and Job took it and took it and took it and finally he'd had enough and he just kind of snapped. And he made the mistake. He crossed the line of saying to God, what's going on here? I haven't done a thing wrong. I know in, the, in my heart of hearts I am innocent before you. And so the fault isn't mine. It must be yours. And then God responds. He speaks out of the whirlwind and says, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without wisdom? Calls Job to account. He intervenes in Job's life. The last story we looked at was the story of Balaam. Specifically, Balaam's donkey. Do you remember the story? Just from last week? I hope so. Uh, We'll recap it in a minute here. But uh, let, let me say to you that I believe that God is willing to intervene in the lives of humanity as evidenced by these three stories in Scripture, Jonah, Job, Balaam. But more often than not, He entrusts His servants, you and me, with the task of intervening. I'm going to pick up on the, the story we started last week with Balaam and see it through to its conclusion in uh, Numbers chapter 25 uh, here this morning. In Numbers chapter 22, Balaak, king of the Moabites, says, Balaam, I need you to come curse the Israelites. Balaam says, uh, I'll be happy to ask God about it, but it's not up to me to decide who gets cursed and who gets blessed. That's God's business. And so he consults God, and God says, no, 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 we don't curse those people because they are blessed. He goes along uh, with Balak anyway. And, uh, in fact, in chapters 23 and 24 of the book of Numbers, Balaam doesn't curse the nation of Israel, who blesses them instead. These oracles of Balaam. And then somewhere something happens between Numbers chapter 24 and Numbers chapter 25. And that something is that Balaam found a way around what God wanted him to do and did something else instead. He circumvented the will of God to get what he wanted. He was determined that he was going to reap the reward that Balak, king of Moab, had promised him. He knew he couldn't out and out curse the Israelites because of what God had said. And so he tried to go around God's back. And what he did was, he he sat down with Balak and said, I can't curse him, but here's what I can tell you. If you can convince your Moabite women to intermingle and intermarry with Israelite men, God will no longer bless the nation of Israel. Which brings us to this morning's text. I want you to get a Bible, and I want you to look at Numbers chapter 25. We're going to read verses 1 through 13 this morning. Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Let me hear those pages turn. Let me hear the buttons on your cell phone. make. No, I don't want them to make noise this morning. Uh, Let me see it. I want, want your eyes on the text. Numbers chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods, so Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of these people, kill them, and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord, so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, Each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. Now, again, I think this is Balaam's doing. I think Balaam went around God's back and told Balak, king of Moab, if you want to bring Israel to its knees, here's how it's going to happen. Sure enough, Moabite women were willing. They indulged in sexual immorality with Israelite men, invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. At the end of the day, Israelites, a a chosen nation, a nation devoted to Jehovah God, was found bowing the knee to this false god, Baal. Verse 6. Then an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Just to to set the stage here, when we talk about tent of meaning, we're talking about the tabernacle where the presence of God dwelled, right? And so Moses and Aaron and all of faithful Israel were literally on their hands and knees before God weeping, repenting of their sinfulness. When a man brings a woman that he intends to engage in sexual immorality and parades her right past them, heading for his tent. Verse seven. When Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw this, he left the assembly took a spear in his hand and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered 24,000. The Lord said to Moses, Phineas son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites, for he was as zealous as I am for my honor among them, so that in my zeal I did not put an end to them. Therefore tell him, I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. Understand what happened here? The nation of Israel had given itself very quickly to sin with Moabite women. Again, which culminated in their bowing down to this false god Baal. God himself had sent a plague among the Israelites. And while Moses and Aaron and other faithful leaders of this Israelite community were making intercession for the people at the tent of meeting, at the tabernacle, at the place where God dwelled, this man named Zimri takes a woman named Cosby. She was a Midianite. Marches her to his tent in front of them all. Everybody knows what's going on. There are no secrets here. Phineas gets up off of his knees, wipes his eyes, and selects a spear. Follows them into the tent where they're already engaged in sexual immorality. And with one stroke of that spear, kills them both. As soon as he does, what happens? Plague stops, but not before, before 24,000 Israelites died. I want you to hear again who this Phineas was and what God had to say about him here in Numbers chapter 25. First of all, he was the son of Eleazar, which may not mean much to you, but Eleazar was the son of whom? Aaron, who was the brother to whom? Moses, I mean, there's a lineage of faith here with Phineas. His, gr- his grandfather, Aaron, uh, spoke for Moses as Moses spoke for God. In this one fell swoop, the, the thrust of the spear, Phineas turned God's anger away from the Israelites, and the plague came to a stop. He was as zealous for God's honor as God himself. And because of that, God offered him a covenant of peace and a lasting priesthood. He made atonement for the Israelites by doing what? Killing two of them. Or one of them. One Israelite, one Midianite. He made atonement for the entire nation of Israel by killing folks. That shouldn't sit well with us. Right? Right? When I think of making atonement, I might think of killing an animal, lamb, uh, blood, sacrifice, those things were part of the Mosaic Covenant. I might think of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, the ultimate sacrifice, but I don't often think of murder or execution, as it were, in this case. I want you to hear what Phineas's legacy was from this act. Okay, look at this from Psalm 106. You can turn there if you want, but I've got it here behind me if you want to look at it here too. They, that's the Israelites, yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods. They provoked the Lord to anger by their wicked deeds and a plague broke out among them. But Phinehas stood up and did what? Did what? There's our word. Sto- Phineas stood up and intervened and the plague was checked. This was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. Phinehas didn't only intervene in the lives of Zimri the, the Israelite and Cosby the Midianite woman. He intervened for the whole of Israel. Right? I'm not asking you to impale anyone. (laughs) I don't want to hear any stories about the Tri County church members running people through with spears and telling folks that the preacher told them to do it. It's not what I'm asking. I, I am asking you to take a stand for truth, I'm asking you to care enough to say something to do something when you see those that you love heading down a path that leads to destruction. I'm asking you to intervene. I'm asking you to do what you can in the time that you have to to put an end to the plague that sin has brought upon humanity. I know that even as we take a stand for truth, we need to do so in love. Right? I know that, that our speech needs to be seasoned with kindness and compassion and grace and gentleness. But it also needs to be direct. Anybody have a family member that they love that isn't right with God? We already have the relationship there, right? Those folks ought to know that we love them and want what's best for them. And so really, the only thing left to do is to love them enough to be honest with them. And again, I think that needs to happen with with gentleness and with respect. But it also needs to be direct. You know, my son, Creed, um, wants to play in our front yard a lot. Um, He wants the scooters and the bicycle out on the driveway, and it scares me to death. Um, We've got a big backyard. I tell him all the time. He just doesn't have the concrete that our front yard has in our driveway. Uh, the neighborhood I live in, there's there's kind of a, a little hill leads up to our house, and people get to going pretty fast through there, don't they? And so it scares me. Um, we regularly have conversations in the house. Now, Creed, when you're out there playing, I don't want you to get anywhere close to the street. Uh, I don't want you chasing balls out into the street. I don't want your bicycle in the street. I don't want your, he likes to, to hop the little curb on his scooter. Uh, I said, I don't want you to do that into the street. I, I know, Dad, I know. And I can be kind and I can be calm and I can be gentle in those conversations. And then we'll be in the front yard and I'll see him hop his scooter over that curb and I'll see a car coming up that hill. And my tone changes, is what happens. I don't say, now son, I'd really like you to stay a little closer, you know, to the house. I say, Quick, get away from the street, is what I say. Don't uh-huh, yes. I, buddy? Uh huh, yes. I'm afraid that in our desire to be kind and compassionate and loving and gracious and gentle with folks that are marching into hell. We've lost the ability or the desire to be direct. And in so doing, we're more or less patting them on the back as they walk to their own destruction. Can you imagine if Phineas had gone to Zimri's tent? Um, Excuse me, Zimri? Might I have a word, please? He threw the flat back. He marched in. He put an end to the kind of sin that doomed people to hell. And the whole nation of Israel benefited from it. There's a verse... In Jude, that uh, I think about a lot of the time, Uh, a couple of verses, I think they ought to go together here. Be merciful to those who doubt. Uh, Again, we need to be full of mercy towards those who aren't sure about a relationship with God. But listen to verse 23. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. There's a time to be merciful, right? And then in verse 23, there's a time to do what? Snatch people from the fire. And that's what I think we're missing. It's all about balance. Of course, we, we again, we don't want to come off as judgmental or condemning or condescending. That's not what we're after. We don't want the Westboro Baptist attitude pervading our taking a stand for truth. We don't need to pick at anybody's funeral anything like that. But if we can't get honest and direct and do what we can to snatch some people from the fire, we're just condemning those folks to hell. God is willing to intervene in the life of humanity. You know that, right? You see that in Scripture. God would love nothing more than to use His church to do the intervening. There are some who need mercy. There are some who need snatching. All of them need saving, including you and me. And it takes God's intervening, often through our actions, through our words, to get it done. I hope you understand what it is I'm saying this morning. I hope this makes sense, and I hope it resonates with you. Does it? Is that where you're at? Because I'm afraid, folks, that the church is quickly being polarized one of two directions. And I've talked to you a lot about this lately. Either the church finds itself in a spot where it is nothing more than a place of tolerance... And acceptance. Or the church finds itself in a spot where it's nothing more than a place of judgment and condemnation. And what I'm saying is we are got to be right in the middle. We've got to, with love in our hearts, with grace on our tongues, say to folks, God wants more for you than what you've been living for those that we have relationship with for those people in our lives that that know we love them and want what's best for them i think we might have to get a little more direct parents you got children who aren't walking in the light they need to know where that path leads brothers and sisters if there's someone in your life that's claiming to be Christian, but not living a life that backs up that claim, they need to be confronted. They need intervention. They need to know truth. And God wants to show it to them. And I believe He wants to use us to get it done. Everybody understand? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads with me and I'm going to word a prayer for those who need intervention. God, I believe that you want nothing more than for men and women who aren't living lives that glorify You, that recognize Your worth, as we sang about today. I I know You want nothing more than for those folks to see the error of their ways and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You desire all men to be saved. And God, I I want to be real careful here um, the way I word things because... I. It's not an us versus them. We're all in the same boat. We all need Jesus Christ. I pray for balance this morning, God. I pray um, that everything we say to those that we love who aren't living lives that glorify you is well-received. I pray that we are gracious and gentle, kind and compassionate with our speech. But God, I also pray that we're direct. I pray that uh, that we care enough To speak words that save souls. I, I really believe, God, that, that Satan has got us so scared to be honest that he, he lies to us, he deceives us and says, well, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings or, or you're going to lose relationship with an individual. I, I, I pray that truth shatters those lies. I pray that, that you remind us, God, that, that we don't say what we say to hurt feelings. We say what we say to save souls. I pray that um, that we recognize, that we realize that we worry so much about relationships in the here and now that, that we forget what we're after is, is not a present day relationship it's an eternal relationship and if we can't get honest and confront sin if, if we can't intervene some folks that we love most in this life We're not going to be sharing eternity with them. It's difficult, God. Um, It's a good chance feelings are going to be hurt. There's a good chance that people are going to be upset. Just pray that you would remind us what's at stake. Pray that we would be willing, Father, to intervene in the lives of those who are destined for destruction. That they repent of their ways so that their souls may be saved. God, we love you. And we just want other people to love you too. And so help us as we do the best that we can to intervene in the lives of humanity so that a difference can be made in their eternity. We pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you would, go ahead and be standing. I think David has uh, one more song probably to lead us in. And we will... Finish our time together. Uh, invite you back tonight, uh, as Kyle mentioned, at uh, six o'clock, and I just